Jason Bleeping Spizak is on the show today. All right, so when we were in Grand Rapids, Jason, uh, yes. my my daughter met you, and she about lost her mind meeting you and some of the other members of the cast. She wow. absolutely loves Very the nice. show, Arcane. Um, it's my she's a huge I fan. Mean, yeah. I'm yeah. only one small um, part of that intensely creative, gifted, talented, genius team that made that show. Yeah. So. But I she likes the part that you part. had, so... Um, so so much so, in fact, that she demanded that I watch the show because I wasn't going to watch it because she was. This was at like the the height of her anime kick, and I'm not a huge anime guy. I'm like, oh, you know, I'm sure it's not anime. She's like, I pause. I promise you, it's not anime. So I sat down and I watched. Attack on Titan for you? No, no Jujutsu Kaisen. No. Okay. All right. Nah, yeah. I'm not really a big anime fan. I, I will admit it. Um, <laughs> I, I watch a little bit here and there, but you know, not not anything with any real gusto. Right. Right. Um, but yeah, so I, I watched that and I was very interested in it. Um, and then I got to see, you know, who, who else, some of the other characters that you have played, you know, I got to see, you know, that you, what you've done in DC. And then of course there's Marvel, then you're freaking Deadpool in Marvel. So how cool is that? At times. Uh, I think at times. Deadpool is one of those characters like Hamlet. I think they give it to different people at different times, like the Joker. I mean, I've played him right. a few times in a few different ways. And mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm Joker on Teen Titans Go, which is a very different Joker than Batman yes, Hush is. Joker. You know, I think that's one of the beautiful things about being a storyteller, you know, and that's being an actor is, you know, being a storyteller is that these stories kind of live forever. They live on and the characters get reincarnated i mean how many times has the avengers show been rebooted you know and like right you, yeah you get a chance when these things come by and if you're lucky enough and talented enough and hardworking enough and everything clicks you get to play one of them for one of the incarnations and it is an absolute treat and a pleasure to do so um yeah i i i always wanted to play the joker I always wanted to, right, to well, be in the Marvel universe, even even Green Lantern. I, I when I grew up, I, cool. I, yeah. I liked Green Lantern when I was growing up. You know, I didn't read a ton of comics, but I liked the Green Lantern growing up. Mm -hmm. And uh, I got to play both Hal Jordan and Razor in Green Lantern: The Animated Series. So. I saw that. Yeah. I mean, I played Hal Jordan get... on uh, DC Superhero Girls. Right. Yeah. yeah, you've had you've had some really cool uh, uh, notches on the old resume there. And so let me ask, let me ask you this, Jason, when sure. you start, when you sit down and you're, and not to oversimplify what you do, so don't take it this way. Um, yeah. But when you sit down to, to take on a character like Deadpool or Joker, somebody who's an iconic sure. character, but has, has these quirks to their characters. Okay. It's a good uh, thing. These guys are wearing their brown pants. Yeah, exactly. How do you. <laughs> How do you get yourself in a mindset to portray those particular type of characters who have who have more nuance, say, than some of the others? Well, I mean, every character that I approach has to have its own unique place in a universe as far as tone goes. You know, Arcane is a very different tone than DC Superhero mm -hmm. Girls. You've got um, you have a story that you are part of that you have to honor. And it is much easier for me to think of characters as part of a whole machine, as part of a, an entire story being told 
than it is for me to look at the character individually and then, oh, I got to do something unique. That never really works for me because mm -hmm. you can do something unique, but what if it doesn't fit? What if it doesn't make sense? What if so? I mean, I am a classically trained Shakespearean actor who, you know, had, has done a lot of, you know, theater and, but theater isn't really what taught me how to tell stories. It was script analysis, scene analysis, story analysis, looking at how all the moving parts of a story come together to tell a brilliant tale. And then when you learn your part in that, which is why it's actually literally called a part. Did you get a part as an actor? When you, right. when people say, you know, how did, how did you, how did you get this part? You know, sometimes they call it a role these days, but it was always referred to as a part for long, you know, a good part mm -hmm. of theatrical history is the reason is because you are only part of the story, but right, right. like all parts in a machine, no machine runs without all the parts. So you, it doesn't matter Very true. what you're doing. You have to be in the right space. And so since what I do is primarily work with my voice, um, I look at the script. I look at all the text that I'm given. Sometimes in auditions, we only get given, you know, a small amount of sides. Sometimes we'll get a picture. Sometimes we won't. Sometimes we'll just have a description and you have to glean from that as much as you can about the person. And oddly enough, I prefer it when I get sides that have other people's dialogue in them, like just pulled out of the story rather okay. than only my lines. Sometimes as an audition, they'll just send you just your lines. That happens a lot in video games because when you're recording them, it's just a spreadsheet with your lines in it. They don't actually mm -hmm. have it written out like a story. There's too much video games these days are too dense with dialogue for that. Right. But I prefer it because sometimes you can learn more about your character from what other people say about you and to you sure. than what you say to other people. Because well, that you, makes have sense. To, you have to honor what they say. Mm -hmm. If they say something like, you know, rolls his eyes at, at me in a conversation then I know something about that relationship that I have with that other person. Either they don't fear me or they do and they're trying to make light of it. You know, is this a parent-child relationship? What is that? It's mm -hmm. You have to learn how you relate to the other characters in the story as your part. So um, a big piece of telling the story is learning that, is learning where you fit in with the other characters. Relationship is huge as it was with Jinx and Silco, right? Their relationship is complex. And because he acts with her like he, he does not treat her the way he treats anyone else in the story. Right. No right. other human on earth treats Silco and Silco treats them the way that Jinx treats, treats Silco and Silco treats Jinx. They are singular in the way that they relate to each other. So if all I had was Jinx and Silco lines, I could never create Silco because right, that's yeah. not who he is really. It's just who he is with her, right? So you have to, as an actor, and sometimes you don't, you don't get all the words. You have to create some of that in your head and hope you're close until they give you the whole script. But once you have the whole script, you have to create something that makes it make sense and honor mm -hmm. it 
from a realistic human perspective. And even comedy comes from that place because, you know, if you're playing a character who's funny, quote unquote, doing a silly voice isn't where the comedy comes from. It's the relationships to other characters and how you, your character got the scene wrong and misread the situation and everyone looks at it and laughs. You're not just doing a funny voice that won't make anyone laugh. You know, it, it's right. So without story and relationship, you, you can't do this job. So that is, that is, I try to get as much of that as I can. It, like step one is to get as much of that information as I can. Cause those are clues. Those are like little things left for Sherlock Holmes or Enola Holmes all around the place. And you pick up everything you can. And then you try on things. I try on things like you would try on a costume to see, does this fit the character? Do I, do I feel like the character in this, but I do it with sound. So okay. I try on things that I think fit that framework that I've assembled of knowledge um, to see if, if it sits right and I'll read it through and then I'll, I'll be like, well, yeah, that fit for about half of it. But boy, when I got to the end and the scene did this one thing, it just didn't feel right. So I'm, and then I'm relying on instinct and experience at that point, right. To tell me what seems right. You know, because I've told a lot of stories and I've created a lot of characters. And then mm -hmm. at that point, it's just instinct and experience going, oh, no, no, that's closer. That's I feel that I feel that's closer to what I what I want. Oh, no, no, no. It feels like it's too X or Y, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and then as you're fine tuning those knobs, um, I would just say that's where talent and experience comes in because you have gravel, no gravel, you have high pitch, you have low pitch, you have high pace, you have low pace, you have diction, you have slurred diction, you have accents, you have no accent, you have, and those are all just the technicalities. Th those are just palette, brush, colors of paint. That's all mm -hmm. they are. They're nothing else but tools to get you to the picture that I you're trying to paint. And so you have to kind of know what that picture is before you can just attack it with color and stroke and different size brushes and all that. So, you know, a lot of people think voiceover is learning to make funny voices or learning to modulate your voice and everything. It really isn't. It's just become a good actor, become a good storyteller. And yes, you should work on your talent and, and ability. Of course, you should work on your ability to create unique voices and all that. But someone who can create unique voices, but can't, act isn't of much use to a producer right right they, they just they, yeah they are i mean there are there are mimics you know people who mimic other voices impressionists things like that right but the best ones of those can act right like if you listen to james arnold taylor you listen to mick winger you know and they're doing their you know you know their luke skywalker or their kung fu panda or whatever Mm -hmm. They're not just mimicking the actors who originated those voices. They are their own version of that voice. They're super close, but right. man, can they act? They can act a scene and mm -hmm. make it be funny, make it be dramatic. And that's what makes them talented, sought after voice actors. Yeah. I think it was, uh, 
I think it was Jennifer Hale when we had her on. She talked about how it's great if you can do the voices. It's great if you can do voices. But if you can't act past of having a voice or two, you're going to be a one trick pony and you'll get called in for a couple things here and there. But past mm. that, you're not going to have a career. You're going to be, you know, you're going to be in for a couple spots and done because if you can't carry it. I, I, interestingly, as that sounds, I know plenty of humans. I, I know of them anyway, who have only really done one voice and done it well, and they've turned it into a career. So I, I would I would say there's a caveat there. It, it, okay. it doesn't, it, it's highly likely that if you can act and you have the ability to change your voice and do multiple characters, that you will work more and you will be able to do this as a full-time job and turn this into your career. If you are only a one-trick pony, that trick better be darn good. And it doesn't well, mean yeah. you can't. It doesn't mean you can't succeed doing that one thing. You might get called for a few other things, but no one's really gonna know you for that. You're known for this one thing and away you go. That, but then again, if you're happy with that, you know. out of that, which is great yeah. and more power to them. I, I yeah, think absolutely. I don't want to tell anyone that what their way towards making a career is somehow wrong or is somehow not valid. Sure. sure. Hey, gosh, if you can get success in this world, especially doing voices, more power to you. Run I with think it. What's what what is I'm not going to say ensures longevity, but what tends to influence your longevity in a business like voiceover is your ability to act and tell a story and a variety of them. And that there's no emotional corner that's closed off to you so that when the story demands it, you're not taking a half hour to get to this place that the director and producer want you to get to, that you have literally 90 seconds to get there and you get there because they will call you back for another job. And that is like a, a rolling snowball that more and more people see you able to make a moment happen and be real and do a good job. And then you just get called more and more and more. It doesn't mean you can't have a career just doing one voice. There right. are plenty of people who do, and that's okay. There ain't no wrong way to do it. It, no, no. it just means you're less likely, I think, to work. Yeah, that's probably a better way to, to say it. I mean, right? and, and Jennifer Hale's not wrong. She's incredibly gifted and talented and knows what the heck she's talking about. She's right, 100%, that if you get the acting part of your job, of your voice acting, right, in theory, mm -hmm. and my buddy J.B. Blanc is like, don't call it a voice actor, you know, because he gets upset. We're all just actors, not voice actors. Right. Um, if you get that part well-tuned you, you open up a whole world of opportunity to yourself that otherwise would be closed off and uh that's where i think maybe job turns into career i don't know it, it might it's different okay. for every human being you know yeah all right so a few minutes ago you mentioned uh we were, we were talking about silco and the relationship between silco and jinx so sure. in some of the reading that i was doing and even some of the conversations that i've had with my daughter it's interesting yeah. to me that some i've seen that some see silco as the villain some see him as not necessarily the hero but maybe as the anti-hero not necessarily right. a villain of the series so in your from your perspective how do you see or perceive the character of silco is he the villain or is he more the anti-hero 
Well, the answer is both. And any well-written story doesn't come down in such a black and white way, right? The reason Arcane is good as a piece of literature, if you just read the story and just read the words, is because every character has something about them to champion them and every character has something about them that is a foible or a fault. Mm -hmm. And so do we all as human beings. This is one of the reasons why when you watch Arcane, everybody has somebody that they connect to and everybody has somebody they root for and everybody has somebody Mm -hmm. they hate. And it's different for lots of different people because the way the characters are written, each of them has something you're rooting for and pulling for. And then each of them has something about them that they are selfish in a moment, right? Mm -hmm. Victor grabs that, that hex tech and accidentally, you know, wipes out his assistant and it feels horrible about it. But in that moment was selfish and striving for something greater than himself and taking off the shackles of the science establishment that tells him he can only do certain things and not do other things. Right. And there's -hmm. something about the glory of discovery. Right. And it's such a mixed moment and Harry plays it absolutely beautifully. And it's, incredible animation, you know, Fortiche animates those moments with complexity, which is why Arcane is such a beautiful work of art because the writing is complex. The animation lends itself to that complexity. The performers lend themselves to that complexity that, so when you ask about Soko specifically, I would say it depends on which part of the story you sit. You know, if you sit, um, you know, let's say Heimerdinger looks mm-hmm. at Silka and sees him putting shimmer on the streets and causing all these people to be addicted to it and have these issues and maladies, drug addiction and all of this. You could just see Heimerdinger's judgment of him is that he's a villain. He is going about this the absolute wrong way. And then if you look at someone like Jinx, who in the end ends up changing Silco as a person, mm-hmm. he's different because he has her in his life than he would have been without her. And at the very end, he just says, don't cry, you're perfect. And we think of other characters in the story who might have wanted to change her. She was fractured by the time she jumped in Silco's arms. Vi slapped her face and left mm-hmm. her. And she was a broken child by the time she hit Silco's arms. And so Silco raises her to be this person that, again, he's in a war as far as he's concerned. Tactics have to be used that other people look down on. And he genuinely cares for Jinx. He genuinely never would have given you to them, not for anything. And in the end says, you are perfect just as you are and accepts Jinx for who they have become. There are so many parents on this planet that won't, that won't accept their child for who they are, that is are always shaming them for who they are. Mm -hmm. So he's not the bad guy in that moment. What do you do with that? You, you just acknowledge the complexity of the story and say Silco is both. 
he is, you know, both of those things at once, as are many of the characters in Arcane, which is what makes Christian and Alex's creation brilliant. I've always said that in order for a villain to be a good villain, there has to be levels of complexity to them. If you have somebody that's just coming in and just shooting up the place and you're just because it's, you know, it's boring and nobody wants, nobody wants to pay attention to that, but you have to have some America become interesting in winter soldier. Because he has some complexities to him. Right. He's got, he's got, it's not just a love story and how he didn't miss his chance to be with Peggy that can sustain you for a little bit, but all of a sudden he's on the wrong side of history or is he on the right side? We all think, you know, that's what makes that moment good to watch because Captain America is about as similar an example as I can make for heroes as you made with villains, right? Like villains need to be complex to be interesting. And I would say the same thing about heroes, which is why people like, I agree. Right. I agree. It's, it's, and it's, so I would just say any character that you write, if you're a writer out there or a producer, any character who comes onto the stage to make them interesting, they have to be both because we as humans are all both. No one is wholly good. No one is wholly bad. They are presented with difficult decisions every day that they would rather not make. And they know that they made a mistake or whatever, you know, I think that is that is one of the most beautiful things about storytelling. When we see ourselves in them, the, the people right. on, on the screen or on the stage, rather than saying, oh, that person's so much better than me or so much worse than me. I think the, the ability to be able to identify with who you see on the screen yeah. is what helps you internalize it, what helps make it important to you, which is turn makes you a fan of whatever that is. There has to be that connection, right? Because if you don't have that connection, you're not going to keep coming back, which is why I think, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a massive Star Wars fan. And so for me, I, I identify very strongly with, uh, Han Solo. So, you know, I'm pointing at the puzzles on the wall in this room because they're all Star Wars. (laughs) Um, but you know, so I identify so strongly with Han Solo. So it helps me, you know, want to see more things with Han Solo and, 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 you know, more sure. character development for him. And, and there's other right. characters I appreciate as well in, in star Wars, but sure. you know, if somebody's like, Hey, you want to see this thing with Han Solo in it? Yes. Yes, I do. Let's go watch that thing with Han Solo, you know? Right. And it's not just because it's star Wars. It's because I like the character. I like how he's yes, portrayed. I like, you know, you know, all that, right. that kind of stuff. Right, right. So. Yeah. And, and that there are so many great, piles of mythos that have those character archetypes right and the more that you find them in situations where they aren't sure what the outcome is going to be there you're not sure how they're going to land what they're going to choose in this moment the more fun it is to watch so absolutely (laughs) yeah Yeah. absolutely connection from the audience i mean i think a lot of people connected with jinx because of the mental health issues mm-hmm. and yeah. upbringing challenges that they suffered yeah. in the story. And absolutely. I think that's one of the things that made the character of Silco, um, uh, somebody that the, the fans enjoyed watching the story of because of Jinx. Right. So there's, a lot of people, not a ton of people, I think, connect to Silco directly 
as oddly as that sounds, right? Because he's, I mean, how many people are like Silco that have come up to me? Very few. I end up getting more Jinx relationship, people who have a strong connection to who Jinx is as a character coming up to me and saying that they loved my performance as Silco because they connected with Jinx rather than people coming up to me and going, I really connected with Silco. As, as weird as that sounds, and that's just specific to this particular character. A lot of people say they like the performance of Silco, that they find his voice very soothing, that he's their, you know, comfort character to listen to, whatever. The, like I find a lot of, but, but I, I really don't get a ton of people coming up to me and go, you know, I always wanted to be a drug dealing sociopath who has a, <laughs> a, a found family with a daughter who has mental health issues. I really connect with that. You know, and no, but the jinx and, angle does make sense, though. It does. But, and what I'm saying is every story is different. So when people connect to a character and they're like, I see a bit of me in there, they can connect to another character in the story that they they see a bit of either someone in their life or someone they wish was in their life. I've had people say that, you know, that I wish I had a father like Silco. And I think what they mean is not that they wish they had a drug dealing sociopath who went, is, went on an absolute killing spree before you entered their life. And then at some point decided you were their daughter. Like they don't mean that literally, but what they mean is right. that Silco was also had mental health issues and decided not to judge you for them. And decided okay. to just kind of do his ham-handed best to be a father figure in this twisted world that they wish right. they had yeah, to figure it like out. That, yeah. You know what I mean? To help you figure it out or at least be there for you and try to give you guidance, even though sometimes it's good, it's bad, it's whatever, you know. Mm -hmm. So I think that is one of the beautiful things about Arcane is that the characters' interdependencies and relationships can um, yield that type of... Uh, engagement from a person watching yeah, absolutely you know absolutely yeah it's not just the person you connect with but then it's the person that they connect with and i don't know i, that, I think that's one of the things that makes arcane no, it's a cool it's a cool it's a cool web of connection in the storyline how yeah. all these things are kind of interconnected and this this moving piece over here affects this moving piece over here yeah. and they somehow come all come and meld into the the central part of the story so i i do think that's yeah. really cool it's um it's pretty singular. I, I've never been a part of something quite that you unique, you know, that it just visual style wise for yeah. did an incredible job, you know, and story, written story, music, the music in Arcane is mm -hmm. just absolutely part of the story and beautiful. And it's like they checked all the boxes when they were making the show. Okay, this is good. We'll make sure yeah. that's good. We're going to make sure that's good. Okay, now yeah. we'll put it out. We all, we yeah. all these boxes well, are mean, checked. Now we can move forward. It would be like there's a checkbox for good. There's a checkbox for great. And there's a checkbox for like world class. And they were like, yeah, we'll have Sting sing this song at the end. <laughs> yeah, right from the 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 outset of, of the, the theme music for the show all the way through, everything's yeah. great. So, all right. So, like one of the other things. It. Yeah. I, I, I'm you glad know, you I liked was, it, Tim. <laughs> I was hesitant down. to get into it, uh, but I, I absolutely ended up loving the show uh, towards the end. And like I said, I was hesitant only from the standpoint of I thought it was anime. And I was like, eh, well, you know, anime, okay, fine, I'll watch it with you. 
And then, mm-hmm. you know, we got done with an episode and she got up to go do something. I'm like, where are you going? We, I, we've got more arcane to watch. This is a thing now. <laughs> We're going to watch this. Come on, let's go make it snappy. Right. So, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So I very much enjoyed it and I'm very much looking forward. And so is she looking forward to season two, if, and when that, that gets ready to come out. So yeah, I think it's, uh, it's supposed to be out next year, this year. I thought it was 2024, but they haven't told us exactly when, and we don't have any, any idea. Yeah, understood. No worries there. All right. So Jason, one of the other things I like to talk to people about when I find out that they're in star Wars, because again, <laughs> massive star Wars nerd. Um, yeah. And one of my all-time favorite shows, honestly, is Star Wars Clone Wars. And I found out Ooh. that you you did the voice of Lux Bonteri, oh. the overlooked lot of interest of a young Ahsoka Tano. Um, Ahsoka, you're ruining my plans. This is a holotrace device. It'll lead us straight to Count Dooku. Is that enough of a plan for you? He's like such a, I don't know, a little bit of an arrogant fop in many ways who oh, I love it. kind of falls off that pedestal and then helps start the Rebels and... Uh, promptly is not in any show having to do with them ever again yay i i didn't think that was and i don't think dave likes lux very much i just got that sense that it's nothing to do with me personally i hope right uh, i just don't think he likes the character of lux very much otherwise there's so many opportunities for lux to show up i thought so too especially after the number of opportunities and he's just not around so i thought so too especially after like all the death watch stuff you know, um, I thought there was an opportunity for that to kind of launch forward, you know, with him doing something. But uh, yeah. yeah. Um, and that's so let me ask okay. You... That's okay. That's Not a... all characters need to have their storyline continued. I'm okay with it. I understand. <laughs> Right. No. Yeah. Not, not everyone needs a, you know, a, a, an eight episode series to explore their, their livelihood right. and what they're but doing. Lux does. No, no, no. I don't know. Actually, actually, out of all the 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 we'll say the minor characters of the Clone Wars, to me, Lux was one that had opportunity for a greater storyline. Because, mm-hmm. because you know, if you look at it, his his uh, he comes from a separatist family line. He's got all these different things. It's it's on the opposite side of what Ahsoka's fighting for, and technically, these two should be. You know, there, there's. There's opportunity well, there for stories. It is like know. a Romeo and Juliet esque thing. A little right? bit, the yeah. Use and the Capulets, and you can't be with this person, and multiple reasons why. George said Jedi's don't fall in love. That was what you know Dave said in the beginning because I was like, do these guys are they in love? Whatever. And I was like, you know, but they're not supposed to. Not that they can't. You know? Right. So we all know how that goes. But yeah, I I was always. <laughs> I was always a little bit saddened by the fact that we didn't see what that type of romantic love did to Ahsoka's journey as a person. Because I just thought that would be yeah. interesting, you know? Yeah, because I, I think that that was part of her personality development was mm-hmm. the things that she was going through with, with Lux and how her feelings were developing because from on screen, you know, as, as a viewer, uh, yeah, as you're watching the series, you can definitely see that there was something developing between Lux and, and Ahsoka, something right. somewhere. And, you know, I would have loved to have seen some level of finality to it, whether she decided she did not want to pursue it because she saw what was happening with Anakin and Padme and didn't want to get, go down that road. Right. Or if, you know, or, or, 
or whatever the else the the other eventualities could have been but yeah i, I, I always I, felt like lux wasn't good enough for ahsoka in so many ways that that was the well, insinuation you're probably not wrong there. yeah you're probably not wrong there just just the insinuation from the writing and everything and from what david mentioned here or there that i i, I always got the sense that you know almost like that decision was easy for Ahsoka in a way because Lux wasn't good enough for her. And I almost was like, ah, oh, but it just a little bit of extra writing on Lux's part could have could discovered have some depth to that character that would have made that decision more sure. difficult for Ahsoka to make. But Lux had a lot of maturing to do. And before he could get to that point, you know, and a lot of loss and a lot of struggle and a lot of that. Mm -hmm. So that then that decision that Ahsoka could see in him a growth that would make her kind of turn her head. You know, I always thought that would be kind of fun to witness, but we didn't yeah. get to. Well, you know, uh, somebody not being good for somebody in the Star Wars universe didn't stop, you know, Anakin and Padme. So that was, you know. No. That, yeah. that was, that wasn't the, the. For as much as I mean good, good enough for. Meaning like I always thought that, you know, Padme was pretty incredible as on her own. Yeah, and Anakin's pretty incredible in his own way, on his own, and in, in in like whatever. I always felt like Ahsoka's like here, and Lux is like, "Hey, what's up? You know, hey, how you doing, lady?" Like, I, I just, you know, yeah, I, definitely, there was definitely growth that Lux would have had to gone through in order to get more on her level. Yes, for sure, for sure. And I, and I say, like to me, that happens in real life. Like, you get in a relationship mm -hmm. with somebody, and you're like, yeah, you know. Uh, they're way out of my league and then they tell you so and then that's over but you go off and maybe you do some growth and things happen to you and life or whatever and then you are now in a place and then they come back into your life and they're like wow you have really changed you have really changed mm -hmm. for the better and i just didn't see this side of you at all and the answer is that side wasn't there and couldn't have been there without my journey going the way right, it went well you know, Without it, this loss, I couldn't have moved right, forward. Right, yeah, loss or fear. struggle yeah. or character, yeah. you know, be character development in some some way. And I just always thought that would have been neat to see Ahsoka have to make that choice again, and this time it's harder for her, right? To send him out on the pod and to send send him away and watch his right. face read into space. It was almost an easy decision to make because he was so just not quite on Ahsoka's level, and he was trying, but it was obvious. And yeah, that's very what happens if that has to happen again and she, it's not such an easy choice for her? Like, I thought that would have been interesting to see, you know, because she was attracted to him. She did see something inside him, even though it may not have been fully developed. What How was cool that? would it be to, to see him like show up in, a, in the live action, you know, and, and be able to come back and be like, yeah, I made all these changes. Look at me now. That'd be kind of cool. So <laughs> it would just be interesting to see and interesting to see her make that choice again. For herself and for her own independence and for her own, you know, because she's been on a journey also, quite one. Right. You know, would, the and, and, would the decision be different now that she's no longer a member of the Jedi Order? Right. And, and would you it know. be something that she then regrets? And she's like, well, actually, no, I, I, I did now make this decision to be in a romantic relationship, but I've grown beyond that in my own personal, you know, journey I don't know. I mean, it just, there's so many cool little moments and questions there that I, I thought, absolutely, but, but it would mean 
it wouldn't be the telling of Lux's story so much as what I'm trying to get to here is that this would be a telling of Ahsoka's story because she hasn't met with that challenge. Again, it was easy for her to decline the romantic inclination towards someone she's attracted to the first time around. What does it say about Ahsoka's journey and person and what is she learning and what is happening to her if she's faced with that choice mm -hmm. again and it's not so easy? That, because it is Ahsoka's story that I'm interested in, not Lux's per se in that instance, because I find yeah, Ahsoka deeply fascinating. I love the series Ahsoka and I find oh. her character fascinating. So. Her, yeah, her character is fascinating. It's uh, she's so well written. Yeah. Um, but one of the things I had always kind of wanted to see more out of when it came to your character of Lux mm -hmm. is that because we always see everything from the Republic side. That's that's our, our point of view. Right. Yeah, that's our point of view. That's our vantage point. Yeah. Uh, I would have loved to have seen something a little more from the Separatist side because not mm -hmm. all the Separatists wanted to go to war with the Republic. Not all mm -hmm. the Separatists wanted to be all the things that uh, Count Dooku was and, you know, and, and the droid army was and, you know, right. all these, all these different things. I would have liked to have seen, especially with his mother having been a separatist, you know, uh, senator and all these different things. Yeah. You know, what was that, what was that vantage point like? And why mm -hmm. is he doing the things he's doing? I think there was, that's when I say there's, there's some cool story that could have been built around that character. Yeah. That's what I'm, that's what I'm talking about. It was that be, for yeah, that's me, true. That would be kind of cool. Well, it would so. have showed showed a side of the separatists that wasn't explored, and right. a, a good vehicle by which to do it. Lux. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, yeah, I but, agree. All right, we're not making we're any cool. decisions, but we certainly agree. There you go. Yeah, I, I don't get to pull the trigger on any of this, but you know, hey, I'll throw my hat into the what if rings. So, <laughs> right. All right, Jason, we have one final question for you. Uh, and we like to call this our silly question. So, uh, and we decided to, to be ask, silly. All right. We decided to ask this because we think it's a shame that at a certain point of age, people stop asking you this question. So, Jason Spizek, yes. what's your favorite dinosaur? I love the pterodactyl because if you think about it, so much of what goes on in the age of the dinosaurs took place on the ground or in the ocean. Mm -hmm. Who ruled the skies, man? Like the sky is everything to, to be just descended on and plucked off the ground. You just, you thought your life was going along good. There is power in flight. And so I actually think the pterodactyl is, I just loved the pterodactyl really do very cool i right. still do because i think uh how cool is it to be a flying dinosaur <laughs> that's awesome solid choice if you ask me yeah all right so jason uh, thank that's you so much for there truly was a flying that it did have flight you know we're gonna we're gonna go with that, that. Just we know what pterodactyls looked like and we know that they have wings and everything and theoretically it's possible for them to fly we just have no idea <laughs> so. we're gonna go with yes just because it makes them way cooler it so. does <laughs> you, know, it you see them walking on the ground there. like this i just can't <laughs> see that form of evolution being very useful in any other way so no it gets yeah. very i'm gonna you know, say yes yes go with yes 
All right, Jason, thank you so much for being on the show today. Where can our listeners and viewers go to find out more about you, your work, and anything you have upcoming? Um, well, I mean, I do have the social medias. I don't spend a lot of time on social media these days. I'm trying to um, practice what I think is a good idea for all of my friends and family and society at large is to just withdraw from social media. Like, I don't think it's a beneficial thing. Um, I think YouTube, I have learned so much from helping, you know, videos is like, Hey, how do you do this plumbing thing? How do you do this? You know, I learned a lot from YouTube. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if I count that quite as social media. Um, but everything else I've just kind of withdrawn. I mean, I'm on Instagram, Jason Spizak, my name at Instagram and I have a YouTube channel that I haven't really posted anything for a long time. I do have my own uh, audio books that I have been reading. Um, you can go to lovecraftaudiobooks.com. Uh, I just picked some stories and I read a few of those uh, cool. horror stories because people wanted some content out there with my voice. And I don't read audiobooks. And I was like, well, people want me to read audiobooks. I'll just kind of read these stories in the public domain. Um, yeah. And so that's that's really it i don't i don't do a ton of of social media stuff because you know really do you want to watch me no you want to hang out with your friends and you want to do things and have experience life you don't want to look at instagram go go, go do that instead <laughs> well just in case it's a rainy day and they and they can't go hang with their friends we'll put the links down below uh for, <laughs> sure. your, for your social media <laughs> sure, sure, sure. Yeah, that's and fine. uh they'll be able to find out uh more there yeah. and they can check it out uh yeah. and so guys we just want to remind you that subscribing is the single most important thing you can do to help us continue to grow get amazing guests like jason here today subscribe to have these to conversations the show. With... it's good right. stuff. subscribe click the button do the thing um, but yeah, go check out Jason's work. He's got a, oh man, he's got so many cool links. There's so much that we didn't even like. There's, yeah, there's a lot of games that came out recently that I'm a part of that are incredible, uh, to go play. And I will always announce yeah. on Instagram if I'm allowed to by the publicity department, once a game comes out, I'll put Fair. it out there that I've been in it, you know, and that I'm what part I play and everything. And so you you can definitely go out there and play those games and watch those shows and things and 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 Excellent. Riot did officially let me say that I have recorded lines for season two uh, for Arcane. They did nice. allow me to say that sentence. You can say that you have recorded lines for season two. That is all I can say. So that I have said. I'm I have good with that. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. All right, guys. So yeah. So go check out Jason and make sure, like I said, make sure you click down below, do the like, subscribe. And, you know, hey, send it to like 10 of your friends so that they can do the same. Just a thought. I don't know. Whatever. But, uh, yeah. Hey, Tim. That's gonna conclude. Thank you for having me on. And please give your thank daughter you. a great big hug from me. I will. I will. Absolutely. Okay. All right, guys. That's going to wrap us up for the FSF Popcast. Goodbye. Copyright 2024 FSF Popcast. Reference any specific product or entity mentioned on this podcast does not constitute an endorsement or recommendation by FSF Podcast. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. If you have any questions about this disclaimer, please contact us via email at info at fsfpopcast.com.